Good evening, church. How are you? All right, wonderful. We don't have a monsoon tonight or pending ice storm or, you know, snakes coming out of the sky or anything like that. So, hallelujah. Good to see you. We're continuing on prayer. Say, so, are we ever going to move on to anything else? I don't know. I'm not quite sure. We, we definitely are in week eight of this, and we're going to be here for a while because somehow I think there's a lot that we can squeeze out of this. And if you're like I am, I think that regardless of how long we've been walking with God, there are no professionals. We're all practitioners, and we're all learning together. And to the extent that we can encourage one another, help one another along these lines, I think that's, that's always instructive. Amen? The divine dialogue. So we're looking at the pattern of prayer. And we've looked at the practice of prayer, the problems, the position of prayer, the passion of prayer. And we're looking now at some of the patterns that we can find. And we're going to begin to pull out a number of them. We've been looking, last week we looked at Jesus' specific instructions about prayer. I mean, talk about source reading, that if Jesus said, this is how you do it, probably that's where we need to start and let everything else derive from that place. So tonight we're going to continue there, but then we're also going to look at biblical and historical prayers and creeds. Is that there have been some a lot, of, a lot of prayers that are in this Bible that have been prayed throughout the ages. And there are a lot of other prayers that have come from other sources that can be very, very not only instructive but helpful for you and I to approach God as well. And then the last week we're going to look at how to pray in and of the Spirit because we know that it is the Spirit who is our great intercessor. Praise in and through us. And some of it we do through the outworking of spiritual gifts. But part of the way the Spirit prays through us, we're not even aware of, it says in Scripture. And so we're going to look at the mystery of that, but how we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit as our primary prayer partner. But we want to continue tonight with the Lord's Prayer. And um, we looked at it last week. We didn't get as far as we thought, which is fine. But we looked at the first parts of this, the paternity, our Father. First, the word, the word our, which means that God is intent on connecting us not only to Him, but connecting us to one another. We are in this together. And then Father, of all the names of God that Jesus could have used, He used the word Daddy, Abba, Father. Why? Fathers do a lot of things. They provide, they protect, they bless. And so his, even in, in how God is wanting us to approach him is one of intimacy, of calling him daddy. So our father. But then we're immediately taken up into something beyond in heaven. Now we know there's an imminent aspect of God. It is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and I. But we know that God the Father is firmly seated, entrenched where? In heaven, on the throne, above everything that will ever be, that has, it, as, that has ever been or will be, he is above it all. And that throne is never challenged. Amen? Not just because it's in heaven, it just is, it's, you can't, can't touch this, basically. All right? In heaven. 
And so it, it draws us up. It, it, it points us rather than inward, immediately, our Father who is in heaven, we are immediately drawn out of ourselves up to God. How many of you need to get, get over yourself a little bit? Come on. How many of us just need to get out of ourselves sometimes? I mean, we, we spend a lot of mirror time. And whether or not we're trying to put some paint on the barn or, you know, trying to, trying to do that, you know, you know, 58-year comb over or whatever the thing is we're trying to hide in this moment or, you know, you know put on some black, which is, you know, a heavy man's favorite thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> whatever, whatever we're trying to do to make it look better, we, we tend to live inside of ourselves quite a bit, don't we? What do they think of me? And oh my goodness, am I, am I this and am I that? But when we, in heaven, God says, would you just pick your eyes up for a moment, get out of the mirror and get your eyes back upon me. Some of us need the exercise of doing that on a regular basis, do we not? Sometimes it's time just to step off, just step off from the mirror for a moment if we could. And also praying to a God who is in heaven it releases us from the bounds of the temporal and it ties us to the eternal. Man, we live so short term in our, in, our, in, our, in our mentality, our thinking. Everything is just, it, it, it's, it's, it's beyond just instant gratification. It's beyond that. In that we're not thinking much beyond a week or a month or a year or whatever it might be. And the ancients understood that when the word hope was used in the New Testament, it, again, it wasn't just the hope that, you know, somehow I'm going to get a better boss or a raise or somehow this, you know, this zit's going to go away or whatever it might be. It was the hope was always tied to something eternal in its origin. And you don't hear much about eternity anymore. We don't hear much preaching about heaven, and that's why we don't have a lot of preaching about hell. And both are very real. They're very biblical. And when you stop respirating, you're headed north or south. Everybody, nervous laughter. And yet, let me just tell you, eternity is serious, deadly stuff, man. It really is. I talk about no return, no exit. I mean, no detour, no nothing. I mean, there you are. And we need, to, we need an eternal orientation to how we do life. That we don't just do life in such a way that, you know, it, it's cause and effect in terms of what we can work out in a year or even in a lifetime, but we begin to think about what am I storing up in heaven? Hmm. Titus chapter 1, it talks about Christ and God's elect, the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness of faith and knowledge, resting on the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. I mean, look at what's built on that. Hmm. And then we get to praise. Hallowed be your name. Don't you find it fascinating, by the way, that Pastor Brett and I managed to collide at the same time? By the way, he and I didn't get together 
and work a game plan on this. I mean, here he is on Sunday preaching on the Lord's Prayer. Last Wednesday, I was preaching on the Lord's Prayer. How many of you think maybe God had a little something, something to do with that? So let's hear what the Spirit is saying. Hallowed. That word means to render sacred, to consecrate. Who does that? You do that. It's from an old Saxon word which means to make holy. Now, we know God is already holy. But somewhere in our actions, in that which we say, we are declaring something hallowed. This hallowed ground, this hallowed spot, this hallowed moment. But in this particular case, hallowed be your name. We set it apart. There is a reverence. Exodus 20 talks about misusing the name of the Lord and not just connecting it with the other six cuss words. But there's a lot of misuse of the name of the Lord through ignorance or just sometimes just being casual about it. It's dismissive or disobedient. Psalm 88.1, how majestic is your name. Philippians 2.9 talks about God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. When you get to a tower, you don't look around at the base. What do you do when you get to a tower? Thank you. The righteous run to it and are safe. And this name, this hallowed set-apart name, it defines position, but if it defines position, it demands praise. It demands praise. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Josiah died, I saw the Lord. I would like to have this vision. Stay with me. I saw the Lord seated on a throne. Here we go. High and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me! I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I tell you, that, that's a revelation that you and I need. Not just to kind of the, the warm, fuzzy, Jesus is just all right with me. I am a friend of God. Is that true? Yeah. Jesus is just all right with me too. By the way, that's an old Doobie Brothers song. I am a friend of God as we hopped from one foot to the next. And it's a good song and it's true. I'm not hopping tonight because you'll make fun of me. But somehow when Isaiah had this revelation, 
There was, there was no little Hebrew hop. There was no little, wee. Here was a man that was not expecting to live through the moment because of what he saw and what he was experiencing of the holiness of God, how all of heaven was interrupted and stays continually interrupted, trying to figure out how to worship something that's so perfect. I'm getting ahead of myself, but when we talk about on earth as it is in heaven, perhaps we need to adjust our worship and our expectations and preference of worship and get some on earth as it is in heaven rather than, I like that song. And we need a fresh and continual revelation of exactly what Isaiah saw and experienced. How it would be your name. And then we get to the priority. And I believe this is the heart of this prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples. Now understand that he didn't, he's not teaching them what to pray. He's teaching them how to pray. There's a difference. The what says recite these words in this order. The how provides a template. This is what Jesus was saying. And so somehow then the elements of what I'm talking about should be in our prayer life. They should, they should captivate. They should be at the real heart. And if there's such thing, Calvin called prayer the soul of faith. If, there's a pray, if prayer has soul, this ought to be at the very soul of prayer right here. This is it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many times, and I was raised Episcopalian. We talked about, I mean, we said all these stuff. We memorized the creeds. The bishop came when I was 12 and he squeezed my head. And I was confirmed, which meant that I get to drink the port wine at communion now rather than just be blessed. Meant nothing to me because I was unsaved and I was dark. It was something that if you were 12, that's what you did. And yet we had this rich historical heritage, these wonderful creeds of the faith, these catechisms that we had to learn. And how many times throughout my life have I just said the words, your kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's got a little rhythm. It feels good to say it. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. But how often do we say something and never even ponder that which we're saying? What is the gravity of what's coming? What, 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 what's really inside of those words? Because this was and is what Jesus' visit was all about. So, whoa, 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 hey. It was about moi. It was about getting me cleaned up and right with God. It was about punching my tickets so I can get to heaven. I hate to tell you, dear listener, it wasn't about that at all. Jesus, you, you getting right was a byproduct of his visit. An important one, yes. But don't kid yourself. Jesus was here to establish the kingdom. He was here to make the Father known. Because yet if you've seen me, you've seen the Father.
not just about your salvation or your sanctification, but it's the priority of God and the establishment of His kingdom on the earth. Hmm. What it says in Matthew 6, seek first His kingdom. And all these other things, it, 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 yes, it does say it will be added unto you, but it's almost like we try to get that for, well, I'm going to seek the kingdom so I can get the stuff. No, if you're seeking the kingdom, the stuff won't make any difference. See, that's, that's the thing here. If we, 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 if we get this in the right order, then all of this stuff that we are, we're fighting and clamoring for and we're naming it and claiming it and blabbing it and grabbing it, and if I can just get my life aligned just right, then somehow I'll rip open this portal of blessing to heaven. We realize this is not what it's about. This is not how Jesus taught his folk to pray. Your kingdom come. And the kingdom is not just about a system of order or the imposition of heavenly blessings into the temporal. It's first and foremost about a king. Think about that. You can't have a kingdom without a king. It means somebody's what? They're in charge. And there's no cabinet. There's no court. There's no voting. Thank you. There's none of that. It's a matter of, hey, I'm in charge here. And that's, 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 not, that's not in question. That's not in dispute. It never has been. Where you have a kingdom, you have a king. It's about hierarchy and it's about authority. I, I, I read a lot about generational phenomena. And, you know, I, I, love, I love reading about Mills, the millennial generation. And I've just, I've been, I've been moving an article to some of my millennial friends and saying, what do you think about this? Because there's certain, certain thinking that this generation has about structure and hierarchy, and part of it is they don't like it. Now, I don't think, that, let me be fair, I don't think that's unique to Mills. I don't think anybody likes authority. I mean, Pastor Duke, an old hippie. I know that's hard to imagine, all right? But I mean, we're talking about Hendrix and Joplin and you know, Grateful Dead, the whole nine yards here. Old hippie, all right? I peered onto his iPod. It's ugly. <laughs> oh, he slips on Beethoven when I'm in the car, but let me tell you, when I'm not and he forgets just for a moment, oh, my goodness, what comes out of those speakers? It's just, I just have to start praying in the Spirit. It just... <laughs> but I don't know that... I don't know that any generation has really loved authority much. So I don't want to pick on, I don't want to pick on Mills here in this. But you see, if you're going to have the establishment of the kingdom, you have to acknowledge the authority that comes with that. You can't have this egalitarian negotiation. Could we talk about this? Could, could we chat up this requirement that you're making of me right now? 
because it seems to be a little arduous. Could, could maybe we stretch this test out a little further? Or could you maybe, maybe make it multiple choice instead of an essay test? Or could somehow... And that authority, whether it's that which he's placed in Scripture, his authority is represented in this word. Yeah, there's a lot of instructions here about how to do life and how to be blessed if we do life according to Scripture. But this word has authority because it is God's word. There's not a, there's not a single word in that book that doesn't have with it both power and authority. And sometimes I think we want the power, but we don't want any authority. Can't have it. Doesn't work. And whether it's the authority he's placed in Scripture or it's his authority on a personal level through our obedience, it's still about kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Not mine, thy kingdom And then it says, your will be done. So another thing about kings, they get their way. And they don't even have to be nice about it. And you can look throughout history. You can even look at biblical history and look at kings. And some of them weren't very nice. Genocide. I'm going to have my way. And we can either do it peacefully or we can do it less than peacefully. Can I also say to you, it says that the kingdom of God suffers violence. And it says that the violent take it by force. And so don't think that this kingdom of heaven is, you know, it's, it's all flutes and, and sheep and shepherds and flowing. No. Uh-uh. It's a violent kingdom. Is he a loving father? Absolutely. Is he a king in charge? Absolutely. Will he move out of his way anything and anybody that stands in his way? Absolutely. Read your Bible. Well, I like the God of the New Testament. Okay. Fine. Just stay in, just stay in that part of the book if it makes you feel better. But you, you, you got to deal with who God is through all 66 chapters, all 66 books. And a king's going to get his way. And he's going to get his way on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we, we, we read that and we think, oh, yeah, okay, right. Now I got it. I'm, lo- I'm loving this again because now I'm going to get all the benefits of heaven. I'm going to drag them down here to earth. Baby, you better read this in context. Your kingdom, your will. And just like in heaven, you the undisputed boss. On earth, you to undisputed balls. You see, this is the component and the pattern of prayer that keeps us focused on God rather than focused on us. Jesus was so clear in his mission. I only do that which I see the Father doing. 
That's all I do. I don't do anything else. I, I, I don't, I, 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 when the hot now sign is on the Krispy Kreme, I don't even, I don't even turn off and look. I guess it was hot and now falafels or something. I'm not sure what that was there, but. D.A. Carson, who is a theologian, said, It's in these petitions that they focus on God's name, His kingdom, and His will, but their prayers that He may act in such a way that His people will hallow His name, submit to His reign, and do His will. It's therefore impossible to pray this prayer in sincerity without humbly committing oneself to such a course. And so I think that at the very heart, and I call this the priority, I'm working peas here, but I think that this, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I believe that this is the real heart, this is the priority, if you wish, of the Lord's Prayer. And then, all of a sudden now, it shifts. And we move now from the emphasis on God, God's kingdom, the establishment of God's kingdom. And now, God says, okay, let's talk about you now. Let's, let's loop you in. After all, I'm teaching you to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. So he, this is the petition part where he, yes, he invites us to ask. But let's talk about that asking just for a moment. D.A. Carson again. The prayer is for our needs, not our greeds. It's one day at a time today. You see, during this time, laborers were paid on a daily basis. Talk about living. We talk about living paycheck to paycheck. But paycheck to paycheck for us might mean weekly or might mean monthly. Paycheck to paycheck in those days because it was, it was day labor for the most part. Wages were meted out at the end of every day. So imagine for a moment, it says, give us this day that if you don't get paid today, then you don't get paid tomorrow. Somewhere about day three or four, the kids are wondering, are we eating? I mean, this, when you begin to understand that it's not a matter of having, you know, this, this savings account that we're drawing out of or a visa that we can whip out and go into debt, that if that worker wasn't paid that day, his family didn't eat. I mean, talk about bringing it down and making it upfront and personal. Pastor Brett referenced manna on Sunday morning. The same way, that manna came down once a day. Except the day before the Sabbath when two Twinkies came down in the package. And just... If you haven't heard that teaching, it's too deep for most of us. But just... Stay with me. We'll eventually get spiritual enough to understand how that works. But yes, there was supply, but there was still the response and the responsibility to the supply to go out and do what? Pick it up. I mean, God had it there, but somebody still had to go out before it got too hot and it melted. Grace is the same way. There is a daily portion of grace that is available for you and I that is 
if you wish, daily bread. It's manna to you and I. But for many of us, if we wait too late in the day to pick it up, it's already melted. Because when, when the heat of the day and the heat of circumstances and that boss that we, want, that we work for, that we're convinced, we're convinced his daddy is Satan. And all of a sudden we're jammed up and we're trying to, then, then we go out, ooh, where am I jar? I'm going to get me some grace. Let me just tell you, it's like grace gone. Because we have to pick it up for ourselves. Well, I'm just, I'm going to go hit me a podcast and maybe I can draft in somebody else's grace today. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Well, you know, I got, I got me a great big old bucket full on Sunday when Pastor Brett was preaching. Sorry. But if you look in Scripture, that's, that's, that's going to be an ugly bucket. Because it's already, you know, let's not go there. We're instructed to ask, I like this, but within the context of his paternity, his providence, and his allotted provision. Let me say this again. We're instructed to ask, but within the context of his paternity, his providence, and his allotted provision. You see, many times we're asking beyond what God's allotted provision is for us. We talked about praying God's will, trying to write checks off of a bank account that there was nothing there, that we learned to pray within the parameters of the will of God by understanding that you can write all the checks you want, but it's still got to be connected with what is in the account of that which God wants you to have. It's the same thing right here. And Christians, we're praying all of this just wild, woolly stuff. Oh, God, I won't, I won't, I won't. So far out of his allotted provision. And we wonder, why didn't God love me? He does. You just got to start asking right. But we also have to ask in context of his paternity. Matthew 6, same spot. Don't be like the pagans. Your daddy knows what you need before you ask him. Now, this is a paradox for me. We're instructed to ask, but it says he knows before we ask. So we never catch God off guard. Do we? God, I need rent. I need groceries. I need, God says, that's fine. Ask. It's good to ask. You realize whenever your children come to you and you ask and you supply, you are manifesting paternity every time that need is met. My children would come to me because they knew daddy's got some money somewhere. Children just don't care. Write a check. They just don't care. Get out the magic plastic. They don't care. I know daddy's got, daddy's son, daddy got some money somewhere. And every time that you ask and your daddy provides, it further manifests his, his paternity in your life. I believe this is how these things work together. He knows what you need, but he wants you to ask. Because it is a delight for him to supply. It's not burdensome. He's already made provision for it. Matthew 7, ask, you'll be given, seek, knock. You know this. Talk about paternity. Which of you, 
If his sons ask for bread, we'll give him a stone or a fish. We'll give him a steak, a snake. <laughs> if you then, steak would be good. If you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who what? Ask him. And he goes on and says, don't worry about your life. What you will, <laughs> what you eat or drink, about what you wear. Sorry, ladies. Just reading the Bible. <laughs> Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? When he talks about the birds of the air that don't sow or reap and yet your father feeds them. And why do you worry? Oh, my goodness. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. We, just need, we need to live here. Every time gas goes up and the Dow goes down, we just need to read some Matthew 6. Psalm 37, verses 25 through 26. I was young, and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. This is daddy. His intention is not that we beg for bread, but what we ask in such a way to manifest his paternity, his provision to us. And we don't plead for daily bread. We don't. And then we're given some instructions on relationships. First of all, getting right with God. Forgive us our debts. And we have outstanding debts that we can't satisfy, and we have to ask that the debt be forgiven. This is the penitence and repentance part. And penitence shares the same Latin root as the word repent which simply means to express regret. And then it says, as we have forgiven our debtors. And this is what I call penitence extended or patience and forbearance. Matthew 18, Peter said, how many times do I forgive my brother? And what did Jesus say? 70 times 70. He wasn't talking about 490. It wasn't a literal number. He was once again giving us a pattern and a large enough number, which basically says you got to keep on doing it. You forgive them, and then you forbear with them. What does that mean? It means, you know what? That fool's going to hurt me again. That's what that means. I know he's prone to lie to me. And we all have our little things. If you don't believe that, get married. <laughs> Smile when you say that. I didn't say big things. I said little things. And so we forgive, but then we forbear. Colossians chapter 3. It says, bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, I believe this is what Peter meant when he was writing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, to love each other deeply. You know what I think that means? It means we forgive deeply. 
You can't love deeply unless you forgive deeply. You can't separate these two concepts because they're so interwoven with one another. And you know that word penitence, it comes from a Latin root, which is the same word that we get penitentiary or prison. Because you see, when you don't forgive, you're in prison. You've probably heard this well, is that unforgiveness is like poison, except it poisons, kills you, rather than the other person. It's the same thing with unforgiveness as we don't extend it one to the next, is that we lock ourselves up and we lock that other person up as well. But then this other thing happens, which is a self-imposed curse. Watch this. Back in Matthew 6. If you forgive men when they sin against you, you'll be forgiven. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. Wow. You you mean? Just read your Bible. It says it all. You mean this sense of unworthiness and, 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 and the fact that I can't feel like I can approach God with confidence? And you mean the fact, yeah. You mean because my brother and my son, yep. You mean because my daddy 15 years ago, yep. That's exactly what this means. And it means you're in prison. And you've locked yourself up there. Until you allow God to forgive through you. Now listen to me. Forgiveness, and I'll close with this. Forgiveness is a gift. I'm convinced of this. Inasmuch as forgiveness is given to us as a gift of grace and mercy, I believe that many times we get hurt to the point that we can't just through our own morality, our own good attitude and our good actions, we can just, oh, I forgive you and we're good. Let me just tell you, I think we get hurt to the point that only God can forgive through us. Jesus being crucified, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm convinced that was not Jesus the man praying. That was God the Father praying through Jesus in that moment. And every one of us have experienced the same type of betrayal, the same depth of wounding. We live in a culture now that specializes in hurting folk. Everything from a newscaster having a private moment put all over the internet to husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends posting pictures all over the internet to get back at one. We've created new ways to damage one another. And you don't think we don't need the Holy Spirit and the spirit of forgiveness operating through us? Oh my. And every one of us in this room have a story of somebody that jacked us up, messed us up, lied to us, betrayed us, abused us, left us. Every one of us have a story. Maybe some of the stories are, are more heinous than others, but it doesn't mean that your pain isn't real. 
But it also doesn't mean that you get a pass. Because your pain doesn't give you a pass. All that pain does is indicate there's something there that blood hasn't gotten to yet. You know when you go to sleep at night and you and you wake up and and all of a sudden your arm weighs 48 pounds. And that arm is dead. You know why it's dead? No blood. It doesn't work. It doesn't move right. And then you get it in the right position and blood starts to flow to it. And you're like, ow! That hurts! Guess what? It's better than it being dead. And you see, what forgiveness does, it restores blood flow. And you can't do that. You've got to ask, you've got to ask the Spirit of Christ, God, I just want him to die painfully and slowly. I mean, look at the formulaic hero, hero, hero movies today. The first 20 minutes is you do somebody wrong. And the last 70 minutes is getting them back. It's not complicated. It's the formula, is it not? And, you know, we pay, you know, we, we pay our $87 for that ticket, you know, and our, another $87 for popcorn, you know. I mean, so we're, we're good. Yeah, get him. Get him. Yeah. Revenge, baby. Shoot him again. We call those man movies. And yet everything in us, we, it's not a matter of forgiveness. It's a matter of you're going to get what's coming to you. Forgive those who trespass against us. To get the blood moving again. Because it's not just blood extending to them. It's blood that's been cut off from you. And you wonder why you're lame, why you're sick. You've got circulatory problems. Because it says, if you don't forgive, your father won't forgive you. And I'm not making this up. I'm just reading the Bible. Are you with me? This is not a deep theological concept. This is a practical, and this is discipleship 101 as it will ever get right here of how we can live with one another in community, marriage, parents and children. Every relationship that you have is based right here in this prayer. I got to stop for time. Let's pray.